Hello, it's good morning everyone. Sorry if you agree with the assessment of some of our children that this is the boring talk bit. Um, it's a good intro. Right, okay, but it's good to be with you this morning as we continue our series, uh, The King and His Army. Uh, so we looked two weeks ago at Jesus the King, uh, and we got to enjoy a together service last week exploring what the Bible is and how God speaks to us. Um, and now we're back into our series for the next four weeks uh, before a short break um, for a different focus. And then we'll be continuing this series once more through November and into December. Um, so we talked last week uh, at the Together service about the Bible and how God speaks to us. Um, so I wonder if you've considered what is the central theme of the Bible? What is the main message that comes through? What's the big story behind the stories? Is it a story about right and wrong, about good and evil? Is it a love story or some rules about how to live? And we heard all kinds of ideas about that last week, didn't we? Um, maybe you've never really read the Bible before. Perhaps you're new to faith. Uh, you're just exploring Christianity or, or came with friends this morning. And we're really pleased to have you with us. Um, or maybe you've read some of the Bible, but just find it a really complicated set of stories about ancient peoples in ancient lands with ancient practices. Well, I want to look this morning at what I believe is the big picture, uh, the big story behind the stories, the central theme of what the whole Bible is about. And other people think this too. Uh, I don't just make this stuff up, by the way, just so you know. Um, but I want to argue this morning that the big story of the Bible is about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. So we've looked at Jesus the king, so now let's explore his kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God? Well, to do this, we're going to look first at uh, the kingdom when, uh, and then the kingdom now, um, and then lastly, the kingdom then. The kingdom when, the kingdom now, and the kingdom then. So firstly, the kingdom when. Uh, and to do this, we're going to look at what the Old Testament says about the kingdom of God. Uh, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm not going to do the whole thing, but just that's how it starts. So as creator, he was king of his creation. Uh, and he created people, so human beings, uh, to rule over his creation on his behalf. The, the boots on the ground, as it were, to control, manage and care for his creation. Uh, but people said, no thanks, uh, we don't want to rule under God, uh, we'd rather be God if it's all the same to you, um, but it wasn't all the same to God. Uh, the relationship was broken, uh, people were made to leave the presence of the king, and we call this the fall, and it marks the point at which the kingdom of this world, with all its evil and suffering and death, was set up in opposition to the kingdom of God in all its holiness and purity and justice. But even in the midst of this tragedy, God makes a promise. A promise that one day one would come who would break the power of evil and restore the goodness of God's kingdom in his creation. And the rest of the Old Testament provides hints and glimpses and partial fulfillments of that promise. So God calls a people to himself uh, through the descendants of a man called Abraham. Uh, he rescues them from slavery through Moses. He secures them in a land uh, through Joshua. He disciplines them through the judges, as we saw uh, last year. 
Uh, He establishes a monarchy through the first king of Israel, King Saul, and he provides something better through King David. And then through the words of a prophet, God makes a promise to David. So this is 1 Chronicles chapter 17 from verse 11, uh, where the prophet says, I declare to you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take away my love from him as I took it away from your predecessor. That's a reference to King Saul. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. And so, in due course, David's son Solomon becomes king, and for a while, it's really great. And as the reader, you're led to think, this is it. This is the fulfillment of what was promised from the very beginning. A king ruling on God's behalf with God's people in the land God has provided with the blessing of God's presence among them. But then after the pattern of all who came before him, Solomon, the king, falls into massive moral failure and the kingdom of Israel crumbles. So there's disappointment, there's setback and an ongoing waiting for God to fulfill his promises while king after king fails again and again. The rest of the Old Testament tells a story of the nation being driven into exile, the land being repossessed and various imperial foreign powers oppressing them for centuries. And then nearly a thousand years after God's promise to David, Jesus of Nazareth arrives and says this in Mark chapter 1 verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So all of history has been building to this moment. This has been the long-held hope of the Jewish people Jesus is speaking to. The time has come. God's kingdom has come near and begins to break through in the ministry of Jesus. Everywhere he went, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. Uh, in his teaching, performing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, opposing the proud, giving grace to the humble, upholding the poor and the marginalized, the truth of God's word and glimpses of the undoing of the evil of the kingdom of this world. A mission that took him to the cross to die in our place, breaking the power of sin and death. He announced the kingdom and was then lifted up on the cross in powerful weakness, to be crowned king. Have you ever thought how strong you'd have to be to allow yourself to be crucified when you could prevent it? This is our great king who was raised from the dead and seated on the throne of God's eternal kingdom, as we saw two weeks ago. So the Old Testament asks the question, the kingdom when? And in the New Testament, Jesus answers, the kingdom now. The kingdom now. So what is the kingdom now? What does it mean for us that the kingdom of God has come near? Well, I think it's probably important at this stage to clarify a few things that the kingdom isn't 
uh, or perhaps rather things that don't describe the kingdom in its fullness. Uh, there have been various attempts over the years to reduce the kingdom in our thinking. Um, so let's just tackle each of those now. So firstly, the kingdom isn't just the good news of salvation. The kingdom isn't just the good news of salvation. That is a significant aspect of kingdom life. Uh, for which we rejoice greatly, as we should. But the kingdom of God is broader and wider than that. Our Western culture in this nation is radically individualistic. If you grew up in a Western nation, you'll have had the seeds sown since birth that all of life basically comes down to you as an individual and your individual circumstances. So as a result, we tend to try and interpret all truth, including the truth of God's word, within our own lives. So Jesus' teaching on the kingdom becomes about me becoming a Christian and my journey of faith, sorry, yeah, journey of faith through life until I die. And if that's the way you've been thinking about the kingdom, I'm not having a go. It's normal in our society as it is currently to make assumptions like that. But these words were spoken by Jesus and written down in a much more communalistic culture where things are more naturally interpreted according to extended family, ancestry, uh, and the wider community. If you're here this morning and you come from a more communalistic part of the world originally, it might be a surprise to you to know the tendency we have in the West to apply these things to our narrow individual circumstances. And we're blessed to have you with us this morning to help us understand these things more deeply. So no, the kingdom is broad and wide, and not simply our salvation. Apart from anything else, Jesus announces the time is now, a few years before he goes to the cross to die for our sins. So it must include all that he teaches and does before that point. We've seen from the Old Testament and Jesus' teaching that it goes way beyond the individual with their individual journey of faith, instead stretching across the globe and across time. So I know what some of you are thinking now. Uh, but secondly, the kingdom isn't the church. You don't have to spend too long reading church history to find people who thought the church was the kingdom of God. If you know about the Emperor Constantine, the Holy Roman Empire, and Christendom uh, more generally, you'll have some insight into the various attempts there have been to equate the church or a kind of fusion of church and state as the kingdom of God. But the kingdom is not the church, and neither is it something, uh, needless to say, that starts at 10.30 on a Sunday morning and finishes in time for lunch. The church is obviously central as the means by which God's kingdom comes and is advancing, but the church itself is not the same thing as the kingdom of God. Thirdly, the kingdom isn't something abstract to be experienced after death. The kingdom of God is certainly everlasting, as we've seen from the prophecies, uh, and for a believer, death is not the end, and we will be with Christ awaiting the resurrection of our bodies, but the kingdom isn't something that we need to die to become a part of. So no, the kingdom isn't my salvation, it isn't the church or coming to church, and it isn't going to heaven when we die. So what then is the kingdom, I hear you ask? Uh, the kingdom is God's rule and reign breaking through in power and changing our world in the name of Jesus, the King. I'll say that again. The kingdom is God's rule and reign breaking through in power 
and changing our world in the name of Jesus the King. So it's God's perfect holiness, purity, justice, life, and peace breaking into our broken world and taking ground. It's the power of God changing lives. And we can see that in the Gospels. Uh, So Matthew tends to speak of the kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke say the kingdom of God. Uh, And John, who tends to provide uh, a slightly different perspective on the life of Jesus, often uses the phrase eternal life. Um, But all of these terms mean something similar, including John's slightly curveball version, in that they all speak of something that started with Jesus, is present with us now, and will go on with everlasting effects. Jesus often spoke of the kingdom in parables. Uh, So these are stories that stand for something to illustrate a point. Uh, There are two parables in Mark chapter 4 that speak of the nature of the kingdom, um, showing it as something that started with the arrival of King Jesus, is going on now, um, and is completed at his return. And if you're doing the, uh, the Bible reading plan through Mark at the moment as part of Feeding on God Daily, you'll have read these this week. So Jesus says in Mark chapter 4 from verse 26, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So these parables describe the kingdom as something that begins with Jesus' ministry, is continuing now, and is completed at his return. God's kingdom broke in dramatically with Jesus' words and actions, yet there remains a time we are awaiting when God's kingdom comes with power and great glory at the return of Jesus at the end of the age. And this is a tension, isn't it? It's been described as the now and not yet nature of the kingdom. But we can resolve this tension by seeing the kingdom in relation to the king. So Jesus came in power and was crowned king, and his kingdom is advancing. And there will come a time when the kingdom comes in its fullness, and God's perfect justice and peace will be the ultimate reality under Jesus our king. So let's get practical about what the kingdom looks like for us, and let's think broadly about this. So the kingdom now is God's rule and God's reign breaking through in power, in our mission and evangelism when we share the good news of Jesus with others, Uh, in the atrium out there um, on Mondays to Wednesdays, Uh, in our Chapel Fields outreach, Um, with Food Bank and our social action, Uh, when we come together in worship. Uh, The kingdom is God's power breaking through when we pray for the sick and in pastoral care. Um, In our hospitality as we meet together and feast with others. It affects all aspects of our life as individuals. Uh, It affects your marriage, if you're married, your parenting, if you have children, when you're at home, at work, at the school gate, at church, with friends, with family, doing hobbies and activities, and also when we are suffering and we are in need, 
the kingdom of God is on display and in our midst. Whenever we see God's rule and reign breaking through in power and changing our world in the name of Jesus, our King. Because if you're a Christian this morning, we are citizens of the kingdom 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, forever into eternity. So whenever we're investing in our relationship with God, feeding on him daily, whenever we're deepening our friendship with one another and living out our faith in the world in obedience to our king, we are proclaiming the kingdom of God and demonstrating God's rule and God's reign. We're called uh, to pray and to work for the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. That as individuals and as the church, we would walk in obedience to him. Uh, We would do good for other people and preach the good news of the kingdom. And in all of those things, reflect the love of God in Jesus, our King. Now, maybe you're here this morning, but you're not a Christian. Uh, Or maybe you're new to faith uh, or just invited by a friend to church this morning. Uh, And maybe you can see yourself on the outside or on the fringes of this kingdom of God. And you're thinking, that's not me. It's too big. I've got too much on, life's too hard, and you don't know what I've done. Well, if that's you, Jesus himself met with, spoke with, and ate and drank with the religious elite, uh, with tax collectors, with prostitutes and sinners, with Jews, with Gentiles, with those in authority and those who were oppressed, the great and the small, the slave and the free, to demonstrate that there is an open invitation to enter the kingdom of God. Will you accept the invitation of the king? God's kingdom isn't just another autocratic dictatorship with a powerful king and a kingdom of plebs. We've seen too many of them, right? Jesus uses his power not to crush, but to heal and revive, to mend the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. So we've looked at what the Bible says about the kingdom when, uh, and the kingdom now, begun by Jesus and still present with us today. Uh, So lastly, let's consider the kingdom then. The kingdom then. And this is about where it's all heading. So our obedience to God now is ushering in his kingdom now, which will come in its fullness then, at the end of the age, when King Jesus appears in glory and all is made new. So what will that be like? Well, it says uh, in the book of Revelation at the end of the New Testament that blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. So I am eager for that blessing. And if you hear these words and take them to heart, you can share in that too. So uh, you're welcome. Uh, So why don't you close your eyes while I read this um, and just see if you can picture it. So this is Revelation from chapter 20, verse 11, uh, where John writes, I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. 
And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshippers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Then one of the angels came and said to me, Come with me, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high, with twelve gates guarded by twelve angels. And the names of the twelve tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And when he measured it, he found it was a square, as wide as it was long. In fact, its length and width and height were each 1,400 miles. Then he measured the walls and found them to be 216 feet thick, according to the human standard used by the angel. The wall was made of jasper, and the city was pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on foundation stones inlaid with twelve precious stones. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate from a single pearl, and the main street was pure gold, as clear as glass. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. 
Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. So as the band comes back up, let's, uh, let's pray. So Lord, I want to thank you that as a king, you are good. I thank you that you do not crush us, you do not overburden us, but Lord, you are wholly motivated towards goodness that you have redeemed a people for yourself, Lord. I thank you that when the kingdom of this world reared, it, reared its ugly head, you didn't send us off without a promise, Lord. But your promise remained. I thank you, Lord, that when Jesus arrived and declared the time is now, that that time was now, Lord, and that time is now and remains with us. And Lord, I thank you for all the encouragements that we can see of your kingdom coming in our, in our world, your kingdom advancing and taking ground. Whether, that's, whether that is people getting saved and coming to faith, Lord, whether that's um, our world being transformed, communities changed, in the name of Jesus, our King, Lord. Help us to, to walk in obedience to you, Lord, to, to let your kingdom be what motivates us because of our obedience to you, Lord Jesus, as our King. And Lord, we long to see that day when your kingdom comes in its fullness, when you appear in power and great glory and lead us home. In your precious name we pray. Amen.